0: Would you turn with me in the Bible to Exodus chapter 3? We are going through uh, the book of Exodus. This is one of the foundational books of the Old Testament. Uh, And the title of our series is From Bondage to Belonging, because that's what God does for the people of Israel in the book. He brings them out of bondage in Egypt, and he brings them not to just figure it out for themselves but to belong to him to have a uh, to know that they belong in his presence and to have his him going with them for the rest of their lives. So last week we looked at God's calling of Moses when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And today we're looking at how Moses responded to that call. So we're looking at a long passage. I'm going to start with chapter 3 verse 10. Uh, which is the end of what uh, God says to Moses. And then we're going to look at Moses' response to God in the rest of chapter 3 and in all of chapter 4. Now, because this is such a long passage, I'm not going to read all of it at the beginning. I'm going to read chapter 3, verse 10 to 15, and then chapter 4, verse 1 to 17 uh, to uh, uh, begin us this morning. Uh, So I'll be reading most of the passage and summarizing some other parts as we go through it. So chapter three, beginning at verse 10, uh, God said to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Going down to chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. It was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those who faithfully copied and preserved it for thousands of years. Thank you that it's been translated into our language that we can readily understand it and engage with it, and we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit that we might benefit from it, that we might receive, that we might understand uh, what it's saying, and that we might receive uh, the truth that you have for us through it today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder if you've ever been asked to do something, and deep down inside, you just didn't want to do it. And perhaps you didn't want to directly refuse the person who was asking you. And so you were looking for some convenient excuse or some polite way to say no, to get the person off your back. Well, that's what Moses was doing in most of this passage, except it wasn't another person asking him a favor. It was God himself summoning and calling and commanding him. Sometimes God calls his people to trust and obey him, and we do everything we can to weasel out of that calling. Jonah did that, and Moses did that here. So this morning I want us to consider two themes. Number one, resisting God, which Moses does in the first part of this passage that we just read, and second, obeying God, which Moses does in the rest of chapter four that we'll get to later on. So first, let's look at how Moses resisted God's call. Moses raised not one, not two, not three, not four, but five objections. This is one of the longest back and forth conversations between a human being and God that you'll find in the Bible. So let's look at Moses' five questions. First, chapter three, verse 11, Moses says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring your people out of Egypt? Now, by itself, that's an entirely reasonable question. God had just said to Moses in verse eight that he would bring his people out of Egypt, and Moses says, well, wait a minute. You said you'd do it. I can't. I tried before. It didn't work. You know, when Moses was a lot younger, he tried to deliver his people in his own way and he had to run out of town because his attempts fell short and did not succeed. So Moses says, who am I to accomplish this great task? Verse 12, God responds. And notice, God doesn't say some of the silly things that modern Americans tend to say. You're good enough. I believe in you. You can do it, I know you can. God doesn't say any of those things that motivational speakers will tell you. What God does say is, but I will be with you. In other words, God is saying to Moses, it doesn't matter so much who you are. What matters is who I am, and that I'm promising to be with you. And that's a word of great comfort whenever we feel inadequate the tasks that God has laid before us. God says the same thing to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 verse 5 he says just as I was with Moses so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And in the New Testament Matthew 28 verse 20 Jesus said to his disciples go and make disciples of all nations and behold I am with you always to the very end of the age. So many times God reassures his people when we ask God who am I? how in the world could I accomplish what you're asking me? And God says, it doesn't matter who you are, but I'm promising to be with you. But then Moses has another question. Verse 13, he says, well, if the people ask me your name, what should I tell them? In other words, Moses is saying, who are you? First question, who am I? Second question, who are you? Now, prior to this incident, it's not 100% clear what Moses or the rest of the Israelites in Egypt knew about the one true God. Uh, it's possible that they had some of them had faithfully handed down the traditions from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at least somebody knew about those because they're recorded for us in the book of Genesis they weren't completely lost however it's also likely that the Israelites after living in Egypt for a long time which was a society that worshiped many different gods including the Pharaoh and the Sun and the Nile River and all sorts of other gods they sort of thought everything had a little bit of God in it and so you could sort of worship a whole bunch of different things, uh, the Israelites might have fallen into some of those patterns. So Exodus doesn't really tell us directly how much the people knew about the one true God at this point. But here, Moses asks another legitimate question. God, who are you? And look at God's answer in verse 14. God says, I am who I am. In other words, the true and living God is the uncreated one the source of all that is, was, and ever will be. The God of the Bible is the maker and sustainer or keeper of all things. And God also says in verse 15, I'm the maker and keeper of promises. So he's not only the maker and keeper of uh, his creation, but he's also the maker and keeper of his promises. uh, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, in In verse 16 through 22, which I didn't read. God gave Moses a preview of upcoming events and responsibilities. Basically what God says in these verses is, Moses first, you need to go speak to the leaders of Israel, the elders of Israel, verse 16 and 17. Then you and the elders need to go speak to the king of Egypt in verse 18. And verse 19 through 22, he says, the king's not gonna let you go, but God will make him let you go. Uh, So it'll be a process, it'll take time. But eventually, you'll get all kinds of gold and silver and jewelry and clothing, a sort of repayment for all the years they had been enslaved uh, and never compensated. So Moses' first question is, who am I? Moses' second question is, who are you? But then Moses has more questions. Chapter 4, verse 1, but they won't believe me. Now, that's an understandable concern, given Moses' past experience. The last time Moses had tried to help his people, they had rejected him. So Moses says, how can I know they'll believe me now? But here's the problem. If you look at chapter 3, verse 18, God says to Moses, they will listen to your voice. In other words, the people of Israel will listen to your voice. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, but behold, they won't listen to me. So Moses is directly contradicting what God has just told him. God says. You tell them this, and they'll listen to you. And Moses says, no, they won't. They're they're not going to listen to me. So Moses is letting himself be governed by his past failure and his present fear instead of trusting God's word and God's promise. But again, look at God's response to Moses. God is not giving up on Moses. God says, I'm going to give you three signs to demonstrate my power and reality. First sign, throw your staff down on the ground and it's gonna become a snake. And then pick it up by the tail, which by the way, you should never ever do with a snake. Right, pick it up by the tail and become a staff again. Uh, now the snake was actually the most prominent symbol of the Egyptian Pharaoh. So the, uh, on Pharaoh's crown, there was a snake. It was a symbol of royalty in ancient Egypt. So. This first sign is really uh, showing God's authority over Pharaoh, right? That's, that's sort of the uh, God can bring Pharaoh down and God can raise Pharaoh up if he wants to. Uh, the second sign is Moses' hand is afflicted with leprosy and then healed. So that demonstrates God's authority over sickness and disease. And the third sign, water from the Nile turning into blood, demonstrates God's authority over nature. So basically, God is giving Moses all these signs to demonstrate that he has authority over Pharaoh, over sickness, and over nature. God uses something extraordinary to do something extraordinary. So each of these signs display God's power. So that's God's response to Moses' third objection, but we're not done. Chapter 4, verse 10 Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Now, people have debated this one. Did Moses have a speech impediment? Had he forgotten the Egyptian language while living abroad? Was he saying he lacked diplomacy skills, or was he just being modest and self-deprecating and saying, Lord, I'm not worthy of being your mouthpiece? Whatever Moses meant, notice that the tone of God's response in verse 11 shifts. God starts getting in Moses' face and saying, who made your mouth? (laughs) Who makes people? Mute or deaf or seeing or blind, is it not I, the Lord? God is saying, I made you and I can work through you no matter your physical limitations or disabilities. God says, I know about all those and I can still work through you no matter what those might be. Twice in verse 10, Moses points to his own inadequacies. He says, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and tongue. And twice in verse 11 and 12, God points to himself and says, Is it not I who made you? I will be with your mouth. So the question is, which I is more important, Moses or God? Verse 12, God tells Moses for the fourth time, go. He's already said so in chapter 3, verse 10, where it's translated come, and then in verse 16 and verse 18. So God has already told Moses to go three times, and now he says Time to get up and go. And then in verse 13, we see Moses all along has been looking for some excuse. Right? He started off with some questions that were not bad. Good questions. Who am I? Who are you? Good questions. Quality of his questions decreases with, with each one. Right? But you see, he's trying to do everything he can to weasel out of what God is calling him to do. And finally, he says, oh, my Lord, please send somebody else. Now, Moses phrases this about as politely as you can. Uh, Literally, if you were to translate it literally, it would be, Lord, please send by the hand of whom you will send. But the meaning is very clear. Moses is saying, anyone else, not me. And verse 14 says, God got angry at Moses by this time. Moses has run out of legitimate questions and plausible objections. All of his objections have been answered, and Moses still is trying to weasel out of what God wants him to do. You see, throughout the Bible, the Bible is very honest about the flaws and fears and resistance of God's people. Even Moses, one of the greatest spiritual leaders in the whole Bible, is digging in his heels and doesn't want to trust and obey God. Now maybe you are not a Christian, but perhaps you've been asking a lot of questions. Maybe there's a part of you that feels drawn toward Christianity, but maybe there's a part of you that's like Moses here, sort of resisting and wanting to keep your distance. C.S. Lewis, uh, you might have heard of him because he wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. He was a professor at Cambridge University in England for many years. He wrote a number of other books. He was an atheist, for nearly two decades of his adult life. But at the age of 33, he became a Christian. And later on, he described his journey toward Christianity in this way. He said, some people talk about man's search for God. In my case, they might as well have talked about the mouse's search for the cat. He's saying, I wasn't looking for God and trying to find him. He says, you must picture me alone in my room, night after night, feeling the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. In the spring of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. I did not then see the divine humility which will accept a convert even on such terms, a prodigal who is brought in Kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance of escape. So here's the good news. If you've been running away from God, if you've been avoiding or resisting him, the Bible says that God seeks out his lost sheep like a good shepherd. He's the hound of heaven who chases us down with his steadfast love. And so if that's you, give in. Surrender to Jesus. But you know maybe you're already a christian and you know christians do this too sometimes sometimes people who are already christian believers we dig in our heels and resist when a need or an opportunity comes our way and god wants us to be faithful to him in the midst of that and we want to say lord send anybody else but me now if that's you look at what god does for moses here in verses 14 to 17. God doesn't just say, Moses, just go. What does God do? God says, I'll get you some help. I'll send someone to be your right-hand man, your right-hand person. God says, your brother Aaron can speak for you. Ironically, Moses ends up doing most of the talking later on. But here's the point. Sometimes when we're nervous and scared, God sends a brother or sister in Christ to stand with us or even to speak for us, to give us courage and accountability and endurance. Psalm 103 says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Do You see, God knows our weakness. And he even meets us in the midst of our resistance, and he gives us all that we need to serve him. He says, I'm more than adequate for you. I'll give you what you need. I'll even send someone, a physical flesh and blood person to stand right next to you and go with you so that you know you're not alone in what I'm calling you to do. So that's how God meets us even in our resistance to him. But in the second half of chapter 4 we see Moses' obedience. Uh, I'm going to summarize some of this part but in uh, verse 18 through 20 Moses finally gets up leaves Midian and goes back to Egypt. So four times in that paragraph, the word go back appears. Moses goes to his father-in-law, please let me go back. The Lord says to Moses in verse 19, go back. Uh, Moses takes his wife and sons in verse 20 and went back. So after all his resistance, Moses finally obeys and accepts the assignment that God has given him. And if you look at the end of this section, verses 27 to 31, God sends Aaron. To meet Moses, they go together, they meet with the elders of the people, and Aaron speaks the words of the Lord, does the signs, and verse 31 says, and the people believed. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord. So you might think, okay, God persevered with Moses through his resistance, and now everything's peachy keen because he finally obeyed. But look at the middle of this section. There's a big problem that happens in the middle of this section. If you look at verse 24 through 26, I'm going to read these verses. This is when Moses is on the way back to Egypt, somewhere between Midian and Egypt. Verse 24 says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched his feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone it was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision now if this paragraph is confusing or perplexing to you you're not alone almost many scholars would say this is the most difficult to understand paragraph in the whole book of exodus right you have to say what's going on here because moses is headed back to egypt he's finally obeying god's command but now the lord wants to kill him really what's what's the problem here Uh, so what's going on here? If you look up in verse 22 and 23, looking at the context is always helpful when we have uh, some verses that might seem a little confusing or challenging. Verse 22, uh, God says to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. So, in other words, God is saying Pharaoh's firstborn son will be in danger because Pharaoh uh, will, because of Pharaoh's ongoing disobedience to God. But then, verse 24 through 26, there's a similar thing. Moses' firstborn son is in danger because of Moses' disobedience, ongoing disobedience to God. Uh, so you might say, okay, so what's what exactly is going on here? So Uh, Verse 24 says, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. So some people assume that this is talking about Moses. The Lord met Moses and sought to put Moses to death. Uh, And then verse 25, Zipporah. So Zipporah was Moses' wife. She took a flint knife and circumcised her son. So Moses and Zipporah had two sons. The oldest one was named Gershom and this one is the son who would have been mentioned here in verse 25, and then touched his feet with it. Now, many translations put in the word Moses, but if you look at the note, it just says in Hebrew, it's his. Uh, So Moses' name is not actually mentioned in verses 24 through 26. The only person who is directly referred to is Moses' son in verse 25. Uh, So I think that in verse 24 and 26, The person who's in danger is actually moses son Uh, now it really it could be either way but i think it's more likely that verse 24 and 26 are saying moses son is in danger just like pharaoh's son would be in danger uh in verse 22 and 23 and moses son is in danger because moses has failed to obey a basic command that god gave his people israel in the old testament so in the old testament Uh, one of the basic commands God gave the people of Israel is that every son needs to be circumcised. And uh, in the Old Testament, circumcision represented cutting off everything that displeases God and dedicating oneself fully to God for the task ahead. So it was sort of like saying your marriage vows and signing a marriage license. You have to do those things in order to be married. And in the Old Testament, you had to circumcise all the males in your family as a sign that you were fully devoted to god and his covenant Uh, genesis 17 god said this to abraham this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you every male among you shall be circumcised and any uncircumcised male shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant so here's the problem moses is the one whom god has asked to lead the people of israel out of egypt but Moses hasn't obeyed the first command that God gave to Abraham and said, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of you and your sons need to be circumcised as a sign of your devotion to me. Uh, now Moses was supposed to circumcise his son when, his, by the time his son was eight days old, but by this time his son might have been in his 20s or 30s because Moses had been in Midian for 40 years. He had met his wife soon after he arrived, and presumably they had had their two children uh, probably relatively quickly. So by this time, Moses' son would have been in in his 20s or 30s. And Moses had just ignored this command for 20, 30, or more years. Thankfully, what we see happening here is Moses' wife steps in and saves the day. She realizes what needs to be done, and she goes ahead and does it. Uh, She circumcised her son right there on the spot. Okay, now what should we take away from this somewhat mysterious incident? Uh, I think I'm going to give five brief lessons from this mysterious incident. First, there's a warning to Moses that Moses must obey all of the Lord's commands. You know, sometimes religious leaders can be tempted to think, I'm doing so much for God, it's okay for me to skate by in one or two areas and just sort of ignore what God says in one or two areas of life. And God is saying to Moses, no, that's not how it works to be a spiritual leader of God's people. You can't just pick and choose which ones of God's commands you want to obey and choose to ignore others. Uh, Second, uh, we see that even though Moses' son was in grave danger, God provided enough time for the error to be corrected. So we see God's mercy. But it's sort of like God is saying, look, Moses, we need to fix this now. This situation can't continue the way it is. And sometimes I think the Holy Spirit does the same thing in the lives of Christian believers. Sometimes uh, we might be ignoring one of God's basic commands in the Bible for a long time. And God says, now is the time that you need to repent. If you're harboring a root of bitterness, confess it to God. If you've deceived deceived someone else and told them something that's not true, go tell them the truth today. If you're being sexually intimate with someone you're not married to, either get married or stop doing it. Several years ago, I was visiting a friend who had uh, recently become a Christian. And since before he was a Christian, he had been addicted to pornography. And it was a sort of deeply rooted habit in his life uh, that uh, he sought comfort in that way. And he had become a Christian, but he hadn't really taken decisive action to stop. And so one day he prayed. He prayed, God, deliver me. And this was the day before, in the day before self uh, smartphones. So the laptop was the problem. The next day, he got mugged walking down the streets of Washington DC while carrying his laptop. And some guys ran off with his laptop. And he said to me, I guess God answered my prayer. I didn't have enough money to buy a new laptop, so I had to borrow my housemate's laptop and do my work in the common room. And that helped him, actually. An unusual way for God to answer a prayer, but sometimes God says, like he did to Moses here, this needs to stop. And I'm trying to help you obey and go forward and not stay stuck. Third thing, we see that Zipporah stepped in at just the right time. Moses was completely inactive here. He did nothing, he said nothing, but thank God for Zipporah because she was truly Moses' strong helper, his ally. Decisive, fearless, competent in an emergency, and above all, she was obedient to God. So praise God for women of faith like Zipporah who step in and do what's necessary. To obey God. Fourth, we see that salvation comes through the blood. If you look at the end of verse 25, Zipporah touched his feet with the bloody foreskin and said, surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Now, that sentence is difficult to understand. Uh, It's not clear if she touches Moses' feet or Gershom's feet. The phrase bridegroom of blood doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible or in ancient literature, so it's hard to know how to even translate it. But what is clear from this verse is that it's the blood that saves. It's the blood that turns away God's righteous anger. And in Exodus chapter 12, later on in the book, the same verb is used when Moses instructs the Israelites on the night of Passover, kill the Passover lamb, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood, and touch the top and both sides of the door with the blood. And when the angel sees the blood, the Lord will pass over the door. In other words, the point is when the blood of the lamb is over you. You are protected. That's the pattern we see here, even in this somewhat unusual incident. The blood is applied, God's anger is averted, and the firstborn son is saved. And of course, that's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. He shed his blood so that God's righteous anger against our sin would be turned away and that we might be rescued and forgiven. You see, here's the point. Moses didn't just, and this is the last, number five, but this is really the main point of the second section. Moses didn't just need God's mercy when he was resisting God. Moses also needed God's ongoing mercy when he was finally ready to obey. Moses finally agreed, okay, God, I'll work for you. And God says, okay, and I still have some work on you that I need to do in the process. And you know what? This is good news because it means God uses imperfect people to carry out his purposes in the world. If God could use Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, he can use you and me with all our imperfections and he can help us. He can battle with us when we're resisting and he can strengthen us and help us and equip us when we're ready to follow him. Several years ago, I visited a Christian ministry in New Haven that works with recovering drug addicts, and they had this poster hanging on their wall. It said, do you seriously think God can't use you? Noah was a drunk, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar, Joseph was abused, Gideon was afraid, Rahab was a prostitute, David had an affair, Abraham was too old, Jeremiah was too young, Elijah was suicidal, Jonah ran from God, Martha worried about everything, The disciples fell asleep while praying. Peter denied Christ, and Lazarus was dead. And below was the verse we read earlier. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, and the things that are not, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him, because of God's mercy, that we're in Christ Jesus, who has become for us all that we need, wisdom from god our righteousness holiness and redemption therefore as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the lord let's pray lord we thank you thank you for how honest your word is not only about the successes of your people but about their flaws and shortcomings and their resistance to you we thank you for pursuing moses and for equipping him to be the man you called him to be. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us. Lord, help us to respond to you, to trust and obey you. Help us to leave behind uh, whatever we need to leave behind in order to follow you freely and joyfully today. In Jesus' name we pray.